It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. I believe, I believe the most miserable people in the world, I've done this long enough, I can say this, the most miserable people in the world are not lost people. They they don't know what they're missing. The most miserable people in the world are people who used to walk with Jesus Christ that have let that love grow cold and they're not walking with him anymore. Because once you've tasted walking with Jesus Christ, nothing in the world will ever compare to that again. It's amazing. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. I was listening to a, um, a pastor that talked to a, a group of, of uh, a small group of pastors a while back. If I told you his name, a lot of y'all would recognize him. But he talked about the same thing. He talked about his ministry, and he said, um, he said, look. He said, you young pastors, you, you see these big conferences with these big name preachers preaching. You want to be at those conferences and preach at those conferences. He said, I have been in the green rooms of the green rooms of those conferences, and they're empty. There's no talk about Jesus. There's no worshiping the Lord. Just kind of sitting around talking shop talk. And he said, I got sucked into that mess. He said, I remember years ago when I got this national award because my church had planted all these churches, and he said, there's all these pastors gathered, national award, they call me up on the platform, they give me the trophy for planting all these churches, and he said, you know what was going through my mind? Not praise Jesus, not how many people have been saved, not how the kingdom of God had been advanced. What went through my mind is good, I'm glad I beat pastor so-and-so this year. It's a bad place to be at. And so Jesus says, yeah, you're a productive church. You work hard. Now, let me say this, because we got hard workers here. I'm not downgrading your work. I thank God for the hard workers we have here. I I read this, and then I heard John Maxwell say this years ago. Do you know if you want your church to grow, who the most important people are? It's not the pastor. People put up with bad preaching, as you know. It's not the pastor. It's not the worship person. He said, if you want your church to grow, the two most important people are your children's workers and your first impression people, your ushers, your greeters, the people at the door, people in your parking lot. Because people will form their impression of the church by the first people they meet, and those are the first people they meet. And so i got to say something to you people who stand at the door and work in the parking lot. You parking people, it's going to get hot soon. You're going to be sweaty and smelly. In the wintertime, you're out there freezing at 6.30 in the morning. I want to say thank you. God's using you to grow this church. You're doing a great job. So it was a productive church, and then secondly, it was a persevering church. Look at verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience. I I like that Greek word, persevere. It's hupomeno. Hupo means under. Meno means to remain. It literally means to remain steady under a burden. What Jesus is saying is some of y'all are about to lose your job because you're following me, but you're not tucking tail and running. You're standing strong. Some of y'all are getting all kinds of grief because you follow me. You're about to go through persecution, but you are standing strong. You are a persevering church. Now, church, can I say this because I know I've bellyaching and whined a little bit. Y'all do understand we're not going through persecution yet. Y'all do understand this is not persecution, right? 
Because we whine a lot. We're, being per- we're not being persecuted. The American, only the American. Well, you know, my swimming pool liner has a hole in it, but Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. That's not tribulation. My Mercedes had a flat tire on the way to work, but Jesus said we would face persecution. That's not persecution. We don't know what persecution is, but it's coming. It's coming. And they experienced it, and they stayed steady. In fact, I love, y'all know I've got a man crush on Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor back in the Victorian age in London, England. And uh, Spurgeon, I love his description of perseverance better than anybody else's. Listen to this. Here's his definition or his description of perseverance. Spurgeon says, scarcely in politics, in business, or in religion have you got a real man. You see a lot of things which are called men who turn the way the wind blows, a number of preachers that turn north, south, east, and west. I pray to God to send a few men with what the Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or turn aside or stop. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficulties to meet or foes to encounter who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Who, the more they are thrust into the fire, the hotter they become. Who, just like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully it will send forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mighty will they become in the cause of truth against error. Isn't that great? And now is this church. You're a productive church. You're a persevering church. It was a perceptive church. Look at verse 2. Jesus, there's something else I love about you. You, you, can, you cannot bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them to be liars, verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now watch this. About 40 years before, Paul had written to the same church, and in Acts chapter 20, as he's leaving this church, he says, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in from the outside and try to tear this church up. And they had never forgotten that. And, and Jesus says, here's the thing. You test fake apostles. What, what does it mean? In those days, a guy would come to the church and say, hey, everybody, before Pastor Chad comes up and talks, I want you to know I've been sent here from the apostle Peter. And Peter wanted me to tell you all that um, Jesus is not fully God. He's half God, half man, not fully God. And he'd teach heresy. And this church knew their Bible so well. They're like, that's not from Peter. He didn't send you. Guy would come and say, well, you know, I'm from John the Apostle, and John's got this new ministry thing going on over here, and he wants to raise some money. So John asked me to come to y'all to raise some money, and they're like, no, no, you're you're not from John. Jesus said, y'all had guts. You stand up against stuff like that. Hey, some of y'all are going to need to do the same thing. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty, but just because something was printed on the Elijah list doesn't mean it comes from God. Is the microphone on, y'all? Okay, I don't know if y'all, Okay. Just because somebody says I'm a prophet doesn't mean they're a prophet sent from God. In fact, I'm now to the point where if somebody says to me, trust me, I'm a Christian businessman. I want to run as fast as I can away from that person. And if somebody says to me, I am a prophet, I want to say, oh, dear, uh, I got a great church you can go to outside of this church. I just look, these people have that discerning spirit. They knew truth from error. And then he says this, verse six. 
You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, who's the Nicolaitans? We're not quite sure. It could be one of two things. The, the word Nicolaitan, Nikao, we get the word Nike from that, means victory. Laos means people. It literally was this whole division of clergy and people. I'm a pastor. I'm a reverend. I'm a little bit better than you. That could be what he means by the Nicolaitans. But Clement of Alexandria, who lived about this time, said, no, the Nicolaitans were the sect of a man named Nicholas who came to the church and said, hey, We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Yes. Our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Yes. So you can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and do whatever you want to do. That that was the Nicolaitans. In fact, Clement says this. Clement says the Nicolaitans were so wicked and so evil and so perverted, they had the morals of goats leading a life of self-indulgence. And we... You understand that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is still alive and well in the American church. Just last week, two weeks ago, some, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America installed their first transgender bishop. A major denomination has wandered so far from the truth, they now have a transgender bishop. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I want to tell you something. You get away from the Word of God, you get into stuff like that. In fact, um, just for COVID, I remember riding down the road, there's a church near my house, and they had a big banner out front. Bring your pets to church next week, and we're going to have a special blessing of the pets service, blessing of the animal service. And uh, I, I saw that, I said, well, you know what, that's, that's what happens when you get away from the Word of God. You get lesbian bishops baptizing cats, and that's, that's the American church. And they stood up against that. And so Jesus says, you, you, you're a great church. You're a productive church. You're a persevering church. You're a perceptive church. Verse 4, but nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. In other words, on the balance sheet, you've done all these great things, but it's negated by the fact that there is no longer a passionate love relationship between you and me is what Jesus is saying. And again, 40 years before Paul had written these same people, and he he ends his letter in Ephesians 6.24 by saying this, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. In other words, 40 years before Paul says, as I look at the church at Ephesus, there's so many people who just purely love the Lord Jesus Christ. And there may have been some of those same people now that Jesus says 40 years later, yeah, but your love has grown cold. Listen to me. We, We... We make Christianity a lot more complicated than we need to. Christianity, boiled down to its essence, is simply this, loving the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the greatest commandment of the Old Testament is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the Old Testament. Things don't change when you come to the New Testament. It's still the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father and mother more than me is not even worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He said, this walk is, you love me more than anybody else. And in fact, the apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, it's our love for Jesus, the love for Christ that compels us, that motivates us, that pushes us forward. Do you see what he's saying? It all goes back to a love relationship. I love what Peter says. First Peter 
chapter one, verse eight. He says, here's why I love you guys, because even though you haven't seen Jesus, you love Jesus. That's Christianity. Beloved, when that goes, everything else goes with it. It's dangerous, listen to me, it is dangerous to halfway love Jesus. Some of y'all think that I'm, I'm pretty good with Jesus now because I'll throw some little guilt money into the offering plate and I do my church thing on Sunday morning and I'm good. Um, it doesn't work that way. In fact, I, uh, I told you last week what's bothering me is every week I'm seeing a new Christian leader walk away from Jesus. I saw that several years ago when, uh, y'all remember Joshua Harris, he wrote that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, whatever. He, he was a rising star in evangelicalism and walked away from Jesus and said, I don't believe him anymore. Abraham Piper, John Piper's son, is now probably the most articulate anti-Christian voice in America today. He walked away from the faith. And, and it reminds me of this, this observation made by that theologian, Helmut He said this, listen to this, the anti-Christian is always a half-Christian gone mad. It's pretty powerful. The anti-Christian is always a half-Christian gone mad. The thing doesn't work if you just say, well, I I give Jesus my Sunday. Look, look, look. let me do the lawyer talks, I won't get sued. Allegedly, it is being reported that Bill Gates, y'all know who Bill Gates is, had an arrangement with his wife and said, um, honey, 51 weekends out of the years, I am yours. You can use my money, I'll be home, I'll do the husband thing, 51 weeks out of the year. Have y'all read this? But one weekend out of the year is my weekend and I can go and I'm gonna spend it with my ex-girlfriend, I think in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Do you know that? Now, if she got upset, why are you so upset, honey? 51 weeks out of the year is... It's yours. It's just one weekend for me and my ex-girlfriend. Why are you upset? And some of y'all saying, why did, why did she put up with it? Let me ask you, why should Jesus put up with it from you? When you say to Jesus, I give you Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, it's mine. I can do whatever I want to do and live however I want to live. Jesus, I'll give you a Sunday morning, but the rest of the week is mine. You're doing the same thing. Yeah, but pastor, I tithe. I give 10%. Okay. You remember that old song we used to sing, uh, 10% to Jesus, I surrender. 10% I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender 10%. Y'all remember that? I surrender 10%. 10% to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender 10%. No, we used to sing this. I surrender all. And this is the only way it works. When Jesus, listen to me, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That's the only way this works. And so, Jesus said, I want you back. Church, I miss you. How do we rekindle that passion for Jesus? Well, the the solution is there in verse 5. Remember, therefore, church, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, you get this love relationship thing right, church, or I'm going to remove your lampstand. Did they get it right? No. Did he remove their lampstand? Yes. The church is no longer in existence. They're in Ephesus. In fact, Ephesus has probably the most beautifully preserved ruins of the ancient world, but that's it. It's just ruins. 
In fact, they used to be right there in this beautiful harbor where the Caister River would come in and ships would come in and there's all kinds of uh, commerce. And now with all the silt through the years that have come in, Ephesus is now six miles from the nearest ocean. It's just a barren place because I believe this, when a church loses its light, the whole community is affected. And that's exactly what happened here. Well, how do we get that? How do I rekindle that passion? Well, Jesus says three things. Number one, remember. Do you see that? Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus Christ. For some of you, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, this sense of guilt was gone. You realized he had forgiven me of all this filth. I'm free. Some of y'all remember that. It It was beautiful. For me, I had this morbid fear of dying. And when I truly got saved, that fear was gone. Some of y'all were part of a church or an organization, a group of believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look back 10 or 15 years ago, I can remember as a teenager being part of a church that was on fire for the Lord and the presence of Jesus was there. And it was amazing and it was wonderful. And I grew so much. And Jesus said, that's great. I want you to remember that. Some of y'all say, I don't have anything to remember. Maybe because you've never truly been saved. Number one, remember, and then number two, repent. Jesus simply wants you to say, Lord, I've messed this thing up. I've wandered away from you, and Lord, I want to come back to you. If you have this desire to come back to Jesus, who do you think gave you that desire in the first place? That didn't come from your flesh. That's Jesus who gave you that desire. That's his way of saying, I want you back with me. Remember, repent, and then he says this, repeat. Do you see this? Do the first works. Never forget this. Actions don't follow feelings. Feelings follow action. And what he's saying is, go back and do the first work. Just the basic stuff of Christianity. Start reading your Bible again. Start talking to Jesus in prayer again. Start going to church again. Look, we think church is optional. And we pastors have kind of giving you all that impression with this whole COVID thing. Church is not optional. My Bible still says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In fact, I used to think, uh, all I need to grow in Jesus, I just need me, Holy Ghost, and my Bible. That's all I need. And I read through the New Testament. And do you know how many times the New Testament uses this phrase, one another, one another, love one another, carry one another's burdens. The Christian life was meant to be lived out in context of a fellowship of believers like this. Now, again, some of y'all think it's optional. The world has taken up the other six days. Now they're working on Sunday as well. They're trying to take Sunday from you. And some of y'all are now having to decide, do I take my kids to church or do I take them to soccer practice? Let me tell you something. I love you. Your kids are not going to be in the Olympics. You do realize that, right? (laughs) You think your son is not special. He's not going to the Olympics. But he will stand before Jesus Christ one day. And so... Just these basic things, one-on-one things. In fact, I was talking to a guy one time that, um, that his job is to minister to pastors who have fallen morally. And I, I said, what, what is one thing you've learned? He said, here's what I've learned. Every pastor who I've ministered to that fell morally, when I ask them, when did this begin? Those pastors say the same thing. I stopped praying and I stopped reading my Bible. Just the very basic first works things. That's how you come back. Remember what it used to be like. Repent, and then just repeat what you did at first. Hey, that works with marriages too. If that love has grown cold in marriage, 
I would recommend you do the same thing. Remember what it was like when you were dating. Remember what it was like, that thrill of first getting married. Remember what that relationship was like. Repent. Say, honey, I've allowed this thing to grow cold. I am so sorry. Let's work on this thing together. And then just start repeating. Just do the basic 101 nice, good stuff to each other that you used to do. Care for each other. Be good to each other. Reminds me of a story one time I heard of uh, this old couple, late 70s, early 80s. They're riding down the road one evening, husband's driving, the wife's sitting over there, and she realizes the love had grown cold. And um, he's just kind of a grumpy old man. He's just driving. And she realizes the love has grown cold, and she looked at him, and she started remembering. She said, you know, I remember when he, he worked overtime as a teenager to save up to buy that engagement ring for me. And I remember when we got married and we had nothing, but he would work 70 hours a week to provide for me. And I remember when the kids were coming along, he was active in helping to raise the kids. And we went through this crisis together and he was there. And she just started getting overwhelmed. Just out of the blue, she blurted out. She said, I want you to know I'm proud of you. And he turned and looked at her and said, huh? I'm tired of you too. Um, (laughs) All right, let me say this. I believe, I believe the most miserable people in the world, I've done this long enough, I can say this. The most miserable people in the world are not lost people. They they don't know what they're missing. The most miserable people in the world are people who used to walk with Jesus Christ that have let that love grow cold and they're not walking with him anymore. Because once you've tasted walking with Jesus Christ, nothing in the world will ever compare to that again. It's amazing. He's the lover of your soul. I'm just saying, I'm going to say it again. Lost people are not the most miserable people in the world. The most miserable people in the world are those who walked with Jesus and have stopped walking with the Lord. I was reading this past week of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a young evangelist uh, who was friends with Billy Graham. He and Billy Graham, they were young men. They, they, would, they, they did evangelism, crusades together. Actually, Templeton was the better preacher than Billy Graham, believe it or not. And the people get saved. I think they uh, did Youth for Christ crusades. And, um, and then Charles Templeton began to doubt his faith. In fact, it's kind of interesting. I was reading his, his testimony do you know when he started to doubt the Bible? Do you know what he, he was doubting? He was doubting the biblical account of creation. Don't tell me that it's not important what the Bible says about creation. It is. I've said this before. You doubt Genesis 1-1, the day's going to come when you doubt John 3-16. And that's what happened with this man. And so he walked away from the faith. He became an atheist or an agnostic, whatever. And not only did he walk away from faith, he began to really try to undercut Christianity. And believing in the Bible... And the simple message of the gospel. Imagine that. A man that used to preach Billy Graham crusades with Billy Graham is now doubting the scripture and trying to undercut Christianity. Lee Strobel, former reporter from the Chicago Tribune, interviewed Charles Templeton a few years ago as an old man. And so he's asking Templeton about this, and Templeton's kind of doing the arrogant atheist and this and that and pontificating on this and that. And finally, Strobel asked him this question. He said, well, now, how do you assess this Jesus? He says, it seemed like the next logical question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would evoke. Templeton's body language softened. 
It was as if suddenly he felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old and dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. Strobel said, I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him. I said, uh, but no, he said slowly. He's the most, and he stopped, and then he started again. In my view, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. And that's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I, I, I miss him so much. And with that, tears flooded his eyes. And he turned his head and looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control in front of a stranger. And he sighed deeply and wiped a tear from his eye. And after a few more awkward moments, he waved his hand dismissively and said, That's enough. Enough of that. I, I, I miss him so much. And that describes some of y'all. And that describes what Jesus feels about you. I miss you so much. Thank you for giving and thank you for serving and thank you for doing all that. But if you're not walking with Jesus, it means nothing. How do I come back? Remember? Repent? And just repeat. Start doing the same basic stuff over again. Stand with me right now. And just in this moment, just as you're alone with the Lord, for a moment, remember what it was like when you first walked with Jesus. Remember how you felt when you realized your soul had been saved and you're going to heaven and God had forgiven you and you've been adopted as a child of God. Remember what it was like to walk with Jesus. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that across was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel 
a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those Spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward-focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.